At the end of the semester here, I wanted to add a bonus track. There has been a great deal of discussion about eternal progression, and especially the eternal progression that we find in the Book of Mormon. And I wanted to add some clarifying thoughts on this idea. This was not done in front of the normal class and simply my own musings and thinking on this matter. But I hope it's one that you'll take a listen to because I think it's of critical importance, especially to any of us who have had family members who have left the church or family members that are struggling to give us an idea of just the incredible hope that exists out there in the world. So thanks for listening to today's bonus section. And welcome to another Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. Thank you for joining this uh, extra podcast that I've added to the end of uh, our group of classes for the semester. This will come right in between, uh, and hopefully this adds some clarification to some things that we've been studying in the Book of Mormon. As uh, as many of my listeners know, I work as a uh, as a psychotherapist and have a very busy practice working primarily with uh, Latter Day Saints and our issues. And one of those issues that comes up frequently is actually from some things that they read uh, in the Book of Mormon, particularly in the first part of the Book of Mormon. For instance, I had a lady in my office that came in and uh, her kids had, her adult children had left the church and part of her concern was is that they would somehow, if they didn't come back uh, to the church in this life, that they would be in another kingdom, like the terrestrial kingdom, and her and her husband and some of her kids were going to be in the celestial kingdom, and therefore she was looking at what some have called a sad heaven because part of their family is in one kingdom and part of them is in another, so they are eternally separated uh, from one another. And obviously this was causing her a lot of pain and concern and anxiety about how to, as quickly as possible, get her adult kids to recognize the error of their ways, come back to the church so that they wouldn't be separated in the eternities. And as we as we talked about this idea, part of part of her worry comes as she was frequently reading the Book of Mormon, and she was reading phrases like from Alma that it would, if they didn't repent in this life, it would be quote everlastingly too late or quotes from King Benjamin talking about uh, a judgment bar of heaven and hell, of which those that uh, were subjected to hell was a place where, quote, uh, mercy has no claim, 
on that person. In other words, there was a sense of finality and that you could see where that anxiety would uh, rise up. So one of the things that I wanted to do uh, today is maybe answer a couple of questions relative to that uh, and actually hopefully uh, support the idea of what I have called a the the uh, of an eternity that is filled with a very crowded heaven, maybe far more crowded uh, than we have given ourselves uh, the ability to imagine, partly because we're looking at those statements coming uh, from uh, the Book of Mormon. Now, can we take just a few minutes and kind of put uh, this in kind of historical context? Um, what did what did Joseph Smith understand? Well, if we go, if we actually go back in time, we're looking at uh, the writings of Paul, and for for Paul, who was in the in the next first couple of decades after the death and, and resurrection of, of the Savior, Paul was out there preaching not so much about who would make it to heaven. Paul was very clear on the idea that heaven would come to us. So when they were in the process of setting up little house churches all over uh, Corinth and Ephesus and Macedonia and, and all over the place, they weren't looking to like prepare people for heaven. They were saying, we're going to create heaven now and heaven will come to us. So heaven is now, and they weren't worried about who is saved and who is not. They're simply worried about transforming themselves into Christ-like people that would accept all people from all nations, uh, so no one would be uh, strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and all of the household of God. That's what Paul was about. Now, somehow over the centuries, that changed, and especially by the time we got to uh, uh, St. Augustine, the emphasis was clearly on not so much about transforming into Christ-like people. The focus had become on sin and the idea of uh, there's a heaven and who's going to make it and who's not, and, and those that are going to make it. Uh, are going to be those that followed the precepts of the church and carried out all of the sacraments of the church and everybody else that that weren't adhering to these doctrines uh, whether they were the Moors or the Jews or uh, those in the Asiatic countries they were all going to hell because there would be a judgment that says you never did penance and you never did the sacraments of the church therefore you are forever condemned and so now we got uh, the next thousand years or so of an emphasis not so much on transformation and change but on uh, who would go to heaven and who would go to hell as as directed uh, by the church when we got to the reformation obviously now we have calvin and luther who were uh, a bit upset about kind of the control that they felt like the church had. And they changed it and in some ways made it a bit worse uh, in the sense that they, they begin to describe it now as um, that uh, man is forever fallen, 
he is the body is forever sinful and that only when uh, the grace of Christ can be uh, impugned into us they called impugned righteousness that we were like a, a dirty vessel that would be filled with the grace of Christ uh, and that that would be the thing that would save us because we would then uh, be able to make it those who would make it to heaven were those that accepted Christ and his grace those that rejected Christ and his grace would go to hell and so again what you got was a system of very, very, very few people ever going to heaven, those that accepted Christ as directed by the reformers. And everybody else, Jews, Muslims, uh, everybody else, is not going to make it. Um, and so, again, we have this great plan of, of happiness that Jesus described where he talked about uh, go out into all the world and in essence bring them home and Paul preaching a doctrine that the, they were going to go out and everybody would be joined to the Abrahamic covenant that accepted the gospel. Um, now we had this, this situation where so many across the world would be forever in sin. But the problem was also uh, that for... Uh, Book of Mormon prophets, for Calvin, for Luther, for Augustine, even to a certain extent Paul did not understand and had very little teachings about work that would go on after this life. It was always simply about what could be done in this life. So by any measure, without without the additional knowledge that would come uh, and by the uh, the spirit of Elijah, and, and work done for the dead, it was always going to be a matter of most people would go to hell because they hadn't received either the grace of Christ or they hadn't received the ordinances and the sacraments of Catholicism or, or whatever. And so, again, most people weren't going to make it. So when, when Joseph is translating the Book of Mormon in 1828, 1829, and he's looking at the records of the Nephites, they clearly, re they clearly breathe a message of people that did not know of work beyond the grave. So it made sense that King Benjamin would not understand and would worry about those that, like, uh, that weren't accepting the gospel. And that would mean that those Nephites and those people at Zarahemla would accept the gospel but there was going to be no hope for the Lamanites, uh, who they were killing in battle, and no hope for them, because they had always believed in the traditions of their fathers, and they would end up going to hell. There was no mechanism that would save them. Now, a hundred years later, Alma is getting more information. He's getting a little bit more. He's asking some questions about the next life, and now he's understanding there's an intermediate place but he's still not quite sure where that goes. And to a certain extent, that was kind of the cap on the knowledge of what Book of Mormon prophets understood. So obviously, when Joseph Smith is translating the Book of Mormon, what he's reading and what he's understanding is pretty close to what he'd heard grow, growing up in all of the tent revivals. And that was, there. there's a judgment day, 
and there's going to be a splitting off and there's a heaven and there's a hell and even the righteous that have done everything that they're supposed to do they're going to still be saved by grace uh, because they're still going to be unrighteous now two years later after the organization of the church publishing of the Book of Mormon it still doesn't make sense and so we get that wintry day in February of 1832 where he and Sidney are just asking some tough questions about there just seems to be a kind of a non-judgment nonsense of only a heaven and a hell when there's so many different shades of people. And so then in February in the John Johnson farm in Hiram, Ohio, they pray and then they receive the glorious uh, visions that come with section 76, uh, the Doctrine and Covenants. And suddenly it's not about just heaven and hell. There are a lot of shades in, in the uh, eternal world. And that's, that's so much more heightening that almost all are going to go to glory. And even those that they thought were kind of going to hell were going to receive a glory. Suddenly they get a, a sense of a much more merciful approach that might might be better, might make more sense. Um, and then the, the funny thing about this is that uh, still as you look at section 76, it's still about uh, who is going to make it to exaltation who gets to live with God and so we get for instance in section 76 uh, those that would not live with God uh, are going to be those in the terrestrial world people that received not the testimony of Jesus in the flesh but afterwards received it or those that were the honorable men of the earth who were blinded by the craftiness of men um, and they're going to receive the presence of the Father, but not the or of the Son, but not the fullness of the Father. In other words, there's still some cap about what they could learn and what they could understand. Now, interestingly enough, there's one more step, and because prophets are always asking questions, and the Joseph of 1830 would know less than the Joseph of 1832 who knew more. Uh, and that, by the way, was going to be the Joseph of 1832 would know much less than the Joseph of 1842 when he started getting information uh, and the keys that would come in 1836. So Joseph was always growing and progressing in his knowledge. Um, in eight, about uh, 10 months later, after the reception of section 76 comes section 88 and in some ways section 88 is a clarification of um, what had been received in February because this now comes in December and in December of 1832 comes section 88 and is going to explain to Joseph that coming to live with the Father was not about our deeds and not about what we did, but coming to live with, a, with our heavenly parents was about light, and that light was generated by knowledge. So in other words, the more someone came to know, the more light they would have and the more they would be compatible with 
uh, the Father and the Son, and that so that Jesus' purpose was to bring us knowledge which would enlighten us and enable us to progress. Well, that's that's going to be uh, interesting, but still, here's knowledge and understanding, but without uh, the keys to do anything about it. That comes four years later at the Kirtland Temple. So now we're getting a more expansive view in 1836 of the Kirtland Temple, the keys that are going to be brought uh, by Moses and Elijah that suddenly begin to provide for the for some work beyond the grave, though they weren't able to act on it for about another six years. Um, but Joseph was now learning more, and he was knowing, and he was coming to know more again by the early 1840s than he ever did in 1832, ten years earlier. Now, that that then brings us to this idea then of, as temple work is done, the question is then going to be that 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 temple work that will be done. Does that then enable someone who has perhaps gone to the, the terrestrial kingdom, could they ever progress as they gain more light and knowledge? Would they ever be able to progress outside of the terrestrial kingdom and perhaps then enter their exaltation in the celestial kingdom? Um, and, and so you could ask a question, and many have, for instance, uh, where if we go back to section 76 and it says uh, that those in the terrestrial kingdom uh, were going to be those uh, who received not the testimony of Jesus in the flesh, but afterwards received it. These are the honorable men of the earth, and they were blinded by the craftiness of men. Now, uh, I, asked, I asked a group one time, um, have you ever gone to the temple... And have you ever performed temple work, especially in the sealing room, and ever sealed somebody to the terrestrial or telestial kingdom? And say, no, we're, they're always, they're always uh, uh, sealed up to the celestial kingdom. And so, for instance, when we talk about those who receive not the testimony of Jesus in the flesh and the honorable men of the earth, how many of those people have we done their temple work for? Uh, we're not asking what they knew. We're just saying this is a child of God and they need to be uh, given the opportunities of exaltation. So here, here are the questions that I ask uh, on a regular basis. And as you're listening to this, you might you know, kind of answer within yourself, see what you think. For instance, those those people that we're talking about, the honorable men that seem to be trapped in the terrestrial kingdom, for instance, are they children of God? Yes. Does God love them? Yes. Do loving heavenly parents want these, their children, home? Yes. Will they, will they do everything possible to bring them home? Yes. What elements, while these honorable people living in life, what elements stood in the way of their not accepting uh, the gospel in this life? 
and and we can go down a list on that of all the elements of where they lived, what their traditions were, what they came to believe, uh, any kind of uh, uh, mental or physical genetics that might have have got in the way, uh, that's their own personality, all of those things that make up reasons why someone would never accept uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in this life because of all of the physical elements, because of the cultural elements, because of the traditional elements, because of their, their teachings of their parents, all those things are simply the fact that they lived in some part of the world where they never even had an opportunity to hear the gospel in the Middle Ages, you know, in a, in a deep little village in India or China. But they are still children of God and our heavenly parents want them home and will do everything possible to bring them home. Much of that work then will happen after this life. Now, if that's the case, then what are the opportunities, what are the possibilities of them one day receiving the gospel in the next life, hearing it, embracing it, finding out then that their work has been done? Because here's the next question. By the end of the millennium, how many people that have ever walked the earth will have been uh, received baptism by proxy? The answer to that, of course, is everyone. By the end of the millennium, how many will have received their endowments and their ceilings? Everyone. That is the purpose of the millennium is to complete the temple work. So everybody will have had their work done. It's not a matter of whether they will receive the ordinances, because they all will. The question will be, will they accept, will they hear and accept the gospel that will bring them additional light and knowledge and begin their transformation into people that could, be com that could comfortably live in exaltation with our heavenly parents? Now, the pushback that often happens in the church when we start talking about this kind of more universal, more complete, uh, crowded heaven idea that people can progress through kingdoms, that people are going to make it to the celestial kingdom, uh, people that we wouldn't expect, is, is wait, 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 I'll hear. Uh, first of all, it says uh, in the in section 76 that they're going to stay in the terrestrial kingdom it says worlds without end meaning and has been interpreted by Joseph Fielding Smith and others worlds without men and meant forever um, we now understand that that phrase as we look at the at uh, the Joseph Smith papers project and textual understanding that phrase Worlds without end means meant in the 19th century a long, long time. Now, that said, this idea that we can progress, that someone in another kingdom might progress to exaltation, is one that at the moment the church does not have an official policy on. For one, for one of those reasons, 
is that there were those like Joseph Fielding Smith and Bruce R. McConkie that were very adamant about the fact that nobody will ever progress through the kingdoms and they, they taught it publicly uh, and loudly. On the other side we have we have people like um, um, Bru- uh, Boyd K. Packer who said and I, and I quote some years ago I was in Washington D.C. with President Harold B. Lee early one morning he called me to come into his hotel room he was sitting in his robe reading Gospel Doctrine by President Joseph F. Smith and he said listen to this Jesus had not finished his work when the body was slain. Neither did he finish it after his resurrection from the dead, although he had accomplished the purpose for which he had come to earth. He had not fulfilled all of his work. And when will it be? Then listen to this, he says. Not until he has redeemed and saved every son and daughter of our father Adam that ever have been or ever will be born upon this earth to the end of time except the sons of perdition. That is his mission. We, he says, will not have finished our work until we have saved ourselves, and then not until we have saved all depending upon us, for we are to become saviors upon Mount Zion as well as Christ. We are called to this mission. And he concludes with this. The prophet Joseph Smith taught, all are within the reach of pardoning mercy who have not committed the unpardonable sin. Uh, Elder Packer gave this talk in 1995. Well, that is a that's an amazing sweeping view of things. Um, it's backed up also, I think, by what uh, James Talmage was teaching, also, where he said, "quote It's reasonable. It's reasonable to believe that in the absence of direct revelation, by which alone." absolute knowledge of the matter could be acquired that in accordance with God's plan of eternal progression advancement from grade to grade within a kingdom or from kingdom to kingdom will be provided for but if the recipients of a lower glory are to enable to advance surely the intelligence of a higher rank will not be stopped in their progress and thus we may conclude that degrees and grades will ever characterize the kingdoms of God. Eternity, and I think this is a great quote, eternity is progressive. Perfection is relative. That's, that's pretty powerful. So, so what has happened over the course of our, our uh, doctrinal history as a church is that we have had a number of people, J. Reuben Clark, uh, uh, Hubie Brown, James Talmadge, Joseph F. Smith, uh, Boyd K. Packer, uh, I I think President Uchtdorf is there, uh, talking about the fact that we can progress. And then there was a group, uh, Spencer Kimball, Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, Bruce R. McConkie, that were adamant that there wouldn't be progression. So part of the confusion here is the fact that we have had teachings on both sides of this uh, idea. But I think uh, you're getting a coalescing of ideas and understanding that says that if we go back to the Savior's uh, parable talking about the workers in the vineyard, that we have some of those working in the vineyard that 
uh, go into the vineyard and work hard uh, first thing in the morning and even late in the day the master of the vineyard hires more workers to work in the vineyard and that they receive the same wages um, so brothers and sisters here's my here's my concern be careful be careful when we begin to push back on the idea that um, other people can't make it to the celestial kingdom because they haven't done what we have done in this life there can be an element if we're not careful of pride uh, or elitism that begins to seep in and says darn it you know I've been in I've gone to church all this time and paid my tithing and and now these guys are just going to walk in and get what I've got uh, we need to be careful <laughs> on that because as Joseph tried to teach uh, the mercy of God is far more expansive than we have any idea that he's willing to open doors to allow others to come in so uh, let me go back to the lady then that was asking about uh, her adult children uh, that have left the church and her worry over them that what would happen if they weren't able to be uh, in the eternities together and I simply asked her I, I, I said once we get once they're if they never join in this if they never come back in this life and we get into the eternities and Jesus who loves them who has the power to entice and love and motivate and I'm and I'm gonna let Jesus work with them for a thousand years what do you think the chances are that he brings them home and she stopped and got quiet and said I, I think you're right I think that that makes that makes sense that that the goal of the Savior uh, the, is to reconcile in fact, the original term, the original Greek term for the word atonement was reconciliation. It's, it's Jesus' goal and, and born of love and commitment to us is to reconcile us as families, to reconcile us with our heavenly parents. Uh, and to do that, he will not stop until he has done everything possible. That never erases somebody's free agency. They will have the choice as to whether they accept it or not all the way through. But they will, of their own free will, as they are given more light and knowledge, choose to follow the path that will ultimately exalt them. Um, now, as they look back over their life, those in, in the uh, next life, they look back over uh, decisions that they made that might have separated them from God, uh, sinful acts, wicked practices. There's no question that will cause a certain level of regret and pain and hurt as they struggle with the, the fact that they did make those choices. That they, that they will then have to undergo a process of, of change, um, some level of what we would call repentance, which will simply be the, the process of them learning and growing and taking care of whatever needs, you know, whatever effect that had on their, on their spirit, um, the choices that they made. As they do that and they go through that process, guided and directed by a loving Savior, they come home. 
they come home directed uh, by that love that draws them to uh, heavenly parents that are anxiously awaiting them. So the the final piece to this, I, I would say, that if if you're one of those that wonders about whether or not people on the other side of the veil, the you know the the most wicked that we might find out there across the planet, the question would be. What would you do if you were their parent? If you had a child that had fallen in so deeply into sin and wickedness and and because of that they had separated themselves from you by their own actions, what lengths would you go to as a parent to bring them home? What lengths as a parent would you do to entice and draw them back? What lengths would you go to and how long would it take for you to love and to forgive and to accept them back, to help them make the changes that they need to make to be able to comfortably live with you again? As earthly parents, we understand how much we would do to reclaim uh, anybody that has walked away. How much more then would our earth or what our heavenly parents go through to get us home there's nothing that we can do in this life that will put us outside of the love of God to Romans 7 Paul was teaching this no heights nor depths can separate us from the love of God and when we are touched by the love of God the love of loving parents he will call us home This is one of the reasons why I believe so fully and completely that we are looking at an expansive, crowded exaltation and celestial kingdom. Far more than we've ever uh, perhaps imagined. It's a beautiful concept and it's filled with the love and the mercy of God uh, who will do everything possible Uh, who created a plan of happiness that would be expansive and would not, what his plan would not do is to to, uh, strand or condemn the vast majority of his children. He just would not do that. The plan uh, would account to get just as many as home, and I think he will be massively successful in all of that. I bear you my testimony that that uh, there is a merciful set of parents who want us home and will do what it, what they can to get us there. Uh, and this I leave with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you have any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe 
uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.